I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Frau Pow, we're your hosts, Odd and Rags. This week, we are interviewing Katie Brodnick, um, who I'm very excited to have on our show. She is a host of another more banana show called Scam Wow. You should go check it out. It's really awesome. Um, she is also a breast cancer awareness advocate. Um, she also has um, done documentary work with Glamour about her experience getting a preventive mastectomy. Um, She's really awesome. And on top of all of that, she is a comedian and an actor and a really awesome mom. Um, We talked to her this week about all of that and more, and we hope you really like it. So I think that it's like, this is a really good topic to talk about. I think it has a lot to do with um, expectations about women. Um, and then, like, expectations that we have around um, mom. Mm-hmm. As someone who was raised by a mom who didn't want to be a mom, um, I can definitely tell you that, like, it's hard. I mean, I could really see that struggle come out. Um, it, like... It sucks. Like, if you didn't want to have this human and be responsible for this human that you're raising, like, you are dedicated to them. But it's incredible from the child's perspective to hear, yeah. like, I we did want to have our son. We, like, planned him. It was, like, really exciting, and it was great. It's just, it is just a challenge. But I just always think it's really interesting from the child's perspective to know you weren't really a part of your parents' plan and that you s- disrupted that. Right. It's a lot of pressure on a little kid. 
you're literally alive <laughs> and it's yeah. creating this huge ripple effect and you just like came out of a vagina trying to figure things out and right. it's not it's not even that you're just alive like you literally had no choice in no choice. the matter and you're being blamed for a choice that you didn't even get to make yeah or just in the air there's just this pressure or this like unrequited need of the parent and it's just really hard for a child right and i think like people get really weirdly upset and defensive when I tell them that I don't have a relationship with my mother. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, again, it's like this reflection on how, yeah, like we have to be like so connected to our family. And that like really fucked me up for a really long time that I wasn't allowed in quotation marks to not like be connected to my mom because it wasn't good for me and it wasn't good for her. Sure. Like we didn't like each other. And you weren't like a TV family that everybody sort of, I feel like people also want to tie a bow on it, solve it in their minds and move on so mm-hmm. that they don't feel that they have to solve the problem, even though you're not asking them to at all. Yeah. <laughs> but you're like, I'm not like a, yeah, I'm not like a Family Matters episode. It's not going to get better in 30 minutes. But people just also don't want to deal with discomfort. And this, no. there's this, there's this whole thing about you have to love your family regardless and it's like "Mm, you don't it's great if you do Mm -hmm. but really honestly it's not it's not necessary especially when you become an adult you get to make those decisions for yourself and what's healthy too right and what's healthy and sometimes you need to have those boundaries and when people make you feel bad for not for you know having those boundaries it kind of makes you feel like shit Mm -hmm. just say welcome to my therapy yeah i just think it's the the expect expectations that we have as a society about families and what parents should be and what kids should be make something like having a kid really difficult. And, you know, you were saying that you and your husband planned for this kid. You guys were really excited about it, which is awesome. But that must make that like cognitive dissonance of you wanting to also be your own person mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and also wanting to be a mom like so much harder too. Sometimes it feels impossible. <laughs> It actually feels impossible. I'm just like, this doesn't, I don't know how, well, no matter what you are failing in some way. Mm-hmm. And, and then like, I hate that because it's so funny. It's like, before you have kids, if you, if you are somebody who would like to have children, you don't, it doesn't really matter. And this is my personal opinion, what somebody who has kids thinks about their kids. Like it's, it's a, it's a very clear separation. Mm-hmm. Like you could have said to me all of this right before I was about to have my baby. And I was like, okay, fuck off. Like I'm having my baby. Like it's my own experience. <laughs> All I care about is the baby healthy, this and that. And then it's this like connection with mothers. The second the baby is out of your body, there's this whole other world that opens up that sometimes you sort of go like, well, no one told me about this, but it, I wasn't open to it no matter what. Like there was no <laughs> use. There was no bookshelf to place this self-help book on. Like the, I don't know anything of this side until you live it. And it's yeah. like, it's just so interesting. And I think what's killing me inside is Instagram. <laughs> I think like it's horrific. And uh-huh. I'll be on it for Scam Wow and I'll be promoting. And I did a short film and I wrote a book and like things that like you get a lot of traction on Instagram. Like I'll get messages from women who read my book, who write the kindest things and they open up. And it's it's an amazing connection that I have with them. But then I'll go on like this search or the, you know, the little, um, what is it, magnifying glass icon mm-hmm. and then I just want to die <laughs> like immediately <laughs> yeah I go from like helping a woman realize she might have breast cancer to suddenly hating myself 
hating like why why aren't I better and why aren't I faster why aren't I all these mm-hmm. things in and I think because I was thinking about it today I'm like doing dishes I'm stressed out my kids talking to me and I'm like uh-huh, uh-huh. he's not saying words and I'm like <laughs> thinking about like what are we going to say on the podcast and it just is what's really bugging me is that like Instagram doesn't let you choose like in Facebook you can go on to people's mm-hmm. feeds and sort of you know creepily stalk their family and their ex-boyfriends and all that stuff but in Instagram it just sort of like appears on your feed no matter what you're just gliding yeah. through and it, it chooses for you you also yeah. can't like block hashtag like yeah. I that is really crazy to me yeah yeah um, that would prevent a lot of existential like yeah crises I feel like at least I might die uh yeah. this past weekend I put a time limit I used the parental controls on myself oh yeah put a time limit mm-hmm. on it I ignore my time limit <laughs> it's I like, mean I ignore it and I'm like I, oh, okay. I the one time that I actually hit my time limit time limit because it's only on social media and I was actually having a conversation with somebody on messenger and then you know the time oh, limit yeah. kicked in so I did ignore it to just finish up that mm-hmm. conversation and then I, I was like wow let's exercise some self-control oh, that's great yeah but here's the deal though I when we've been talking about boundaries and the self-control right but babies do not come with any of that no they don't be like bro no, like no. you're gonna have to wait a minute no I mean and we're trying and today so he's, I'm obsessed with my kid. I think he's the best thing in the world. He's my favorite person. I want to be around him more than anyone. I just like him a lot. And it's just, it's when I'm, when I leave him that then I go like, oh shit, remember like I have all these other things I have to do or just like mm-hmm. simple stuff. Like I was on the subway and there's so many different people and different, everyone's talking. One guy is like talking about, he's, I eavesdropped heavily. He, and I think his wife, he is, I've gathered a musician and he got into an accident and he's going to create, he's filing a lawsuit and he wants to go to a psychiatrist, like uh, all of this stuff. And I'm figuring it out. And I'm, and then he sits and he sees somebody he knows that was also from NYU. That was also a musician, but he also was a designer. And I mean, I am hearing this entire person's world. And I'm like, wow, I just watched YouTube videos of trains for three hours today because my baby like is teething and this is fascinating and like these guys also are dicks and like I wouldn't want to be friends with them like on the subway but I'm just really interested so you need like adult human interaction at some point I need some but also and this is like I can't I don't know I'm even complaining but this is who I am it's not a complaint people like you want to hang I'm like no I want to stay inside like I also like like curling up and yeah staying inside and being cozy and then when I leave the house I'm like oh I like looking people in the eyes like I like talking <laughs> I like words you know my poor little guy doesn't have any words yet his um his one thing to say mom I need you I want you to do this is he starts hitting himself in the head oh yeah so it it started because I used to do this thing like I think I do like knock on wood and I like hit myself in the head so he started doing it and the whole family was like, no, 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 don't hit yourself in the head. Like, we were at my parents' house. And mm-hmm. everybody was like, no. And everybody rushes to the baby. Like, don't be hitting yourself. That You don't ever want to see a baby smacking its own face. Yeah. And so he got so much attention. He so was like, he, oh, I yeah. get it now. So he looks at me and he's like, you're going to come over here and stop this. And so he starts hitting himself <laughs> in the head. And I'm looking at him like, no, that's not going to work on me. And then I'm thinking, wait, he's try- he doesn't speak. Like, he's trying to get me. And so then he's guys, scamming you. He's scamming me, but also he <laughs> needs something. So I, I don't want to encourage it, but I'm also like, what's your needs? I mean, guys, this is stuff I do all day by myself. How, uh, I'm decoding <laughs> this one and a half year old communication. And I'm also like, is this right? Is it wrong? And, you know, and then I'm running a half hour late for a podcast interview because my brain. 
<laughs> um, my niece, when she was just learning how to talk, they my my sister in law they taught her some baby sign language. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the first words that she learned, one of the first words that she learned was help. And so when she oh. asked for help, she would say help, 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 oh. help, <laughs> and it was probably the fucking cutest thing ever. And but it was like for everything. So yeah. if she needed like milk, or if she like needed help walking or anything well, she literally needs help with everything yeah, I know. It's not <laughs> so cute. she actually can't do anything by herself uh yeah I know. my so my niece um i we were there visiting and i was in my pajamas and so you she could um see a lot of the tattoos that are on my leg mm-hmm. and so she was she loves coloring and you know was like oh the, those are so was like touching them yeah and it would be like do the signal for more and i would like show her another one and she would do another one and <laughs> she would say more again and I would show her another one and then she I ran out of tattoos yeah and um she walked up to her dad and started like taking his pants off like <laughs> yeah for she that was makes like sense. more if pictures are in your body pictures are in his body yeah yeah, yeah. makes sense yeah but I get now why my um my siblings-in-law are very sleep deprived and watch Sesame Street at like 3 a.m. Sesame Street is actually the best. It is fun. It's enjoyable. It's nostalgic. There's this one that goes like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And it's like uh, <laughs> a art deco pinball machine. And uh, my husband is fucking nuts for it. We're like, remember this one? We love it. We were both born in 84. We both thought it was the best sesame street song ever and we will walk around the house singing it and i my brother-in-law said to me like guys wait till you hear kids songs you're gonna start loving them we were like okay whatever <laughs> like okay we're not gonna be like that but we will sing these classic sesame street songs because they were our childhood songs <laughs> like you have to have taste for your child <laughs> like yeah. there's this one show on amazon called rough rough tweet and dave and it's a bear who's dave Ruff Ruff's a dog and tweets a bird and they go around and I'm like, you know, and you put on a kid's show because you're like, all right, it needs to be slower. It needs to be like brighter colors. And then all of a sudden I was like, honey, this show sucks. This is stupid. (laughs) And you feel kind of bad saying that because you know it's for dumb kids. But we're like, this is real dumb. And I remember when I was a nanny, uh, I used to babysit and I had a parent who was like, oh, yeah, these books, dumb as shit. <laughs> you have this, like, you start to get this taste as a parent to be like, oh, no, this is real. My kid's a little smarter than this shit. And it's just fun. It's a real stupid niche to be good at. <laughs> You're just like, oh, we're not playing that crap. We're only doing classic Sesame Street <laughs> where they talk about it. real problems. Yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about um how you came to the, the decision to have a double mastectomy. Mm. Okay. So, yes, I had a preventative double mastectomy, which is the same thing that Angelina Jolie came out with and was famous for. So what it is, um, it is we all have the BRCA gene, the BRCA gene, BRCA1 and 2. I think the woman who discovered the gene wants to call it the acronym BRCA, but it's now colloquially BRCA. Um, so we all have that gene. But if you have a mutated version of the gene, if it's called the genetic mutation, usually people would be like, oh, I'm BRCA1. That means that they're BRCA1 mutated. Um, then that means that your body in certain body parts has a more difficult time at combating breast cancer or ovarian cancer or even <clears throat> skin cancer and 
other ones they're learning a lot more through the grape uh not grapevine through like um the dr grapevine, <laughs> the dr. grapevine <laughs> that cute little dr grapevine yeah they're doing more research where they're finding more cancers that are linked to it and more genes so um yeah it sort of started with it goes back to a bunch of people that were all related in very similar cultures and there's a bunch of ashkenazi jewish people that have it um, one in 40 Ashkenazi Jewish people have it. And then, but it's also prevalent in Hispanic communities and black communities. And, but that's, it's not as popular in those communities to talk about it. It really sort of like lit fire for good reason in the Jewish communities and people that have an, that ancestry because it's such so scary when you find out about it. So when I was diagnosed, they said I had an 87% chance in my lifetime of getting breast cancer. And I think it's down now to 84, 85, but this was in, I don't remember. This was probably 10 years ago. So it was the very beginning and it was a little scarier. It's still really scary. Um, so I'm BRCA1 positive. And what for me, it was that my dad is currently the only surviving person in his family. They've all died of cancers. Um, and he lost both sisters and both parents. And growing up, I was born nine months after my aunt died of breast cancer at 32. And it was a huge shock to the family and like really ripped the family apart it, emotionally. They, they, they were very close and loved each other a lot, but it, they just could not get over it. It was such a shock. It was so devastating. And then I was born, sort of we were talking about, like, you're just, like, born into it. And you're like, hey, I'm here. I'm a baby. What's going on? And they're like, well, this huge devastating loss. And you're in the Jewish faith. It's like the next baby born is the reincarnation of the one who just died. And so I'm partially, my middle name's named after her and all of this stuff. But I grew up knowing very seriously and also experiencing a lot of death related to, to cancer throughout the people I loved. The, the hardest, the most, the, the most generous, loving family in the world. Just also like taught me, as well as my parents, but my bubby and my aunt really, and my poppy taught me a lot of like how to love, the kind of love I want to give, the home I want to have, the the compassion The you know, if anybody says I remind them of my bubby, it's like the only compliment that is the most important. Besides getting cast in a movie. <laughs> but, yeah, besides, uh, besides Priorities. Not, okay, let's get that clear. Um, no, she's incredible. So um, my dad was obviously wrecked and devastated when, um, you know, his last family member, his sister died. And he had been working with Johns Hopkins, I think it's like going on 15 years ago, maybe longer, in their patient test program to see about this new genetic testing and he was actually thrilled when he found out because he was like there's a, an answer to this mm -hmm. even though it's devastating and now that's sort of like this mark on the family and it feels like a lot of pressure going forward at least it's not just like shit luck and at least it's not something they did sort of before this it was all a lot of cancers were your own fault it was yeah. weight and and yes if you have more dense breasts it is more difficult to sometimes find lumps that's fine um, if you have higher fat percentage, sometimes that grows higher estrogen that creates more lumps as well. Okay. But that's not the only way cancers are created. And so um, it was just a lot, a lot of guilt and shame on people who didn't know that there was this really, this huge genetic component. 
So he was relieved and I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> I did not want to know. He wanted me to get tested right away. My sister got tested. She's three years younger than me and she tested negative. And they're like, Kate, you gotta do it. You could be negative. And um, sure enough, I tested positive and I lost my mind. Um, it felt like you might as well have said I had cancer. It was so scary. It was a really bad experience. Um, I always recommend going with a genetic counselor because mm -hmm. they are basically this incredible genetic scientist mixed with a therapist. They are trained to do both. And it's really special in the medical community when you have somebody who is trained to pick up on your personal distress signals. You're, they have compassion. They have concern. They know how to lay out um, different phases of understanding what it means to be diagnosed. Like, it, it, it's an incredible art form, these genetic counselors, and they're so special. And people think that it's sort of like this fancy place to go or like some specialist. And you might need, I don't know, your doctor might need to write a referral. And that's probably the only hill you have to climb mm -hmm. if it's in your family. And then you get to meet with these incredible specialists. And I've talked with a lot of genetic counselors who are like, people just don't know. They just don't know. They, they go to their OBGYN, which is great, or they get a lot of things online, which I have a lot of feelings about. Um, but if you get the chance to go over your blood work with a genetic counselor, whether you have it or don't have it, or even fears of the future, they are really the people that can, are trained to help you process it in the healthiest way, in the most informed way possible. Whereas like, otherwise you're just sort of dropped off into the deep end. And it's this like terrible web of like, literally on on the web there's so many scary things and it's really sad and overwhelming so man i wish i knew that a couple of years ago yeah with my i had a double ovarian cystectomy oh wow and it grew they grew so fast over the course of one month that they were considered they thought that they would be precancerous. so they basically got me like tests they got blood work they got the x-rays they got me through everything and then i was in the hospital for surgery and they told me they're like Look, once we take these, once we take the cyst out, we're going to test them right away to see if they're cancerous or pre-C. And if they are, they're coming out of your body. And so, like, there was just so many, like, blurred lines because, like, nobody knew and nobody was giving me, like, any direct information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, there's no, like, <coughs> way to go, like, okay, if this is what happens, here's how right. you can go through it and, or how you would communicate with your family. Could this run in your family? Could it happen to your mother? Like. Yeah. Yeah. So you did have cysts. I did have cysts. They weren't pre C. They weren't cancerous either. Um, it's just that they grew way too big, way too fast. So I mean, the cyst came out, but I still have my ovaries. You still so, have your ovaries? Yeah. So I oh, lucked good. out. Um, but I just kind of, I, at a certain point, I actually just shut down. I refused to do any research and look into anything. I made my partner do everything. You just, have to shut down it. Just because point. like nobody was giving me any clear information and nobody like no doctors were telling me like what to expect if the if it goes one way or the other way. They just said like, look, you might need to get your ovaries taken out. And that was so it. Scary. And it's just like, well, cool. Great. Yeah. No, it's Thanks. so scary. Yeah. They don't like tell you anything. I know. No. And I wish I would have known this because um, I. I, I got tested for the BRCA gene. Um, because um, I don't have a lot of female relatives who are older than I am. Um, and so, and also my family, they, they're not a lot of, everybody doesn't have a lot of kids. 
Mm-hmm. And so my dad's sister and then my and then his mom's sister, so his great aunt, um, both had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And that was like the only other female relative between them was my grandmother. Right. And um I they tested me for the gene and luckily I was negative, but I definitely walked into the appointment like burr, 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 like everything's fine. Yeah. And I don't know what I would have done if they would have told me anything different. Like my whole life, like but like could be totally different right now. Yeah. And did you go to a genetic specialist? Mm-mm. I okay. just was at my primary care provider. Because there's also and this isn't like to scare everybody, but there's also there are other genetic factors or markers and so if sometimes if you can go to a genetic counselor they can test you for like 10 different things instead mm-hmm. of just like one or two yeah and that can kind of help bring clarity it can also bring a complete panic attack so mm-hmm. it's not necessarily what you want to do but in some families where let's say they're negative for BRCA but they have every single woman in the family has had ovarian cancer like there's something else going on um, yeah. and so it's good to be vigilant but it's also i mean i shut down myself i like couldn't deal with it i got really into drinking got really um really bad behavior really just miserable really like victimy and self-hating and life hate just all, a really terrible time and then it took me getting sober and then realizing like oh shit i actually hate these breasts and i hate what they represented my whole life and i hate their first of all i hate their size i hate that they could be cancerous i don't actually go to my appointments or get mammograms because I'm so afraid of it. And it was such a traumatic experience to get my mammograms. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I was like, oh, I think I actually want surgery. And then that was what my life What? I also want to say that um, I've been reading um, your book. Both I started here in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I actually was a 32H mm. before I got rejection surgery Mm -hmm. and so I got tested for the gene before the surgery and then um before um before the surgery they have to do a whole bunch of like screening and everything and so they did an ultrasound and they found out that I have really tense breast tissue all young women do yeah all young women do and they really freaked me out about it Mm -hmm. and um so I before that they had made me do a mammogram Mm -hmm. Because the doctor recommended just having sort of a baseline before having any procedures. Mm -hmm. That machine was invented by a man. Mm -hmm. I I mean, that's not, I don't know if that's actually true, but it has to be Mm -hmm. true because Mm -hmm. it is the worst thing I've ever felt in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was like, 50-year-old women don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. This is like no big deal. It was horrible. It's horrible. Um, and then I got the ultrasound, and then now I'm supposed to get MRIs like every few years on yeah. my breast mm-hmm. to check on the tissue. And it was the whole thing was really scary. And I mean, it ended up being nothing. They also like found some like cysts, which are also very normal, very common. Um, and they were thinking about having to take biopsies while they went in and yeah. like reduce my breast size like it's a crazy it's crazy so many options too i'll tell you guys this and i don't know if this helps at all but the reason that everybody is feels so trigger happy or it feels so like obsessed with jumping into things is because what i understand i'm sure there's a scientist listening who's like you're just saying it wrong but what i understand the research i've done is that cancer is basically 
a larger you know, umbrella term for a cell that is behaving badly, a rogue mm-hmm. cell. So cells are all supposed to, in your body, they all have a code that they naturally do. Like your lips, if you cut your lip, it kind of heals a little faster than if you cut your elbow. Like your cells just know what to do. This, the skin on your um, forearm is softer than the skin that's on your heel. Like your body is very smart. And it knows exactly what it's doing and how to help you get over a cold. And that's why we get fevers to combat things. And so, but when the cells decide on their own, they're going to start doing something else. They're going to collect in a mass or it can be a spider web or it can be sort of like um, slowly spreading throughout the body. That is a cell behaving badly. And what those cells can do, sometimes those cells um, can die or you have other cells protected and gang up on it and, and destroy it and that's fine. But if a cell is also... Um, basically, like coercing other cells and bringing other like people into his bandwagon. Um, it's a man, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then that cell, you know, it's like a cancerous cell, and it's a cancerous the term cancer. And so there's different types of cancer, but um, and that is a cell that isn't doing what your body needs to do, isn't helping your body, and is harming it. So that's why sometimes if they see something that is a mass or a cluster, they're like, are these a group of cells that are about to get out of hand? Or if this is growing really fast, is it growing really fast because it's cancerous? Right. And so that's what's so tricky is that all, all young women, I have not heard a single young woman that this isn't the case, have dense breasts when you're young. And it's naturally how your body is. And then they start to be, to lighten up a little bit after some women, after they have children, some women, if they get older, like your body's supposed to be dense at that point. And you have cysts and your body naturally handles it. Um, but once you start looking in there, it's sometimes really great because you can find things you didn't know and you can catch things super early and people have amazing stories and they're safe. But also it can cause a bunch of stress of something that's, I don't know, it's really hard because I was talking to my dad who's dealt with a lot of cancer patients. And I was like, do you think they're just, you know, nervous and they don't, the, the hospitals don't want to get sued and they don't, they just want to be extra careful. And my dad was like, Nobody wants to take a risk. Like, why the why would you fuck around with that? Basically, mm-hmm, like, I guess yeah. you know you can say it's this or that. And he's like, but no, like they've these hospitals have treated a lot of cancer patients, so it's just not worth it to them. To them, they're like, why? Like, why deal with sort of this fuzziness or this gray area when we have seen so many people not survive from cancer? Yeah, it was, it's sort of interesting in the different sides, and I know that there's people that are like anti the hospital establishment and think that everybody's trying to make money. And I genuinely think most doctors, except maybe chiropractors, and you can get mad at me for that, but I think most doctors are in it <laughs> to help people. I also love my I'm chiropractor. Sure, I'm sure I have a bone to pick with them, but um, they're fine. <laughs> um, most are just in it to... Was that a pun though? A bone to pick with? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Uh, no, my, I only, my chiropractor, um, she's amazing because she also helped me get my surgery approved. Um, and also prove to everyone in my life that my... Your breasts were hurting your back? Yeah. Yeah. They, that they were causing like muscle and bone deformation because yeah. they were basically, you know, they're very heavy and like pulling down mm-hmm. and why I have chronic back pain. Also, she is one of those crazy stories where they caught um, her breast cancer at stage one. Mm. Um, and so That's she, a great story though. That's what's so crazy is that like we don't hear them because it's scary to get tested. Like mm-hmm. I did, you want to shut down 
And so it is, it sucks that that's a crazy story, but I wish that was all of the stories. Me too. You get it at stage yeah. one, you know, you get it right away. But I think that's what these doctors are hopeful for and not just in it for the business of it. I don't think many doctors are like that. And if there are, get a new doctor. That's the other thing. You're allowed to fire your doctor. I, yeah. I think that's like mm-hmm. a, that's a really, It's like know, an understated thing that people don't know that you no. can do. Well, look, doctors actually like a doctor knows more than i do about the human body he actually went to medical school hopefully he like (laughs) did all this you know training he's seen a million patients i don't know as much as him but i also have the right to say like i don't want to work with you just because you know more than me doesn't mean that you can call all of the shots and also make me feel insecure or not comfortable like Mm -hmm. i when i was choosing my doctor's i actually went on a bunch of message boards from like 2014 or something where people were like that's not too long ago. No, it was 1994. That's when it was like old, old message boards where people were saying what doctors they liked and mm-hmm. certain doctors that um, had terrible bedside manner, but were considered the breast, best breast surgeons and all these different things. And I realized like, I don't at all want somebody who's considered the best if he's going to make me feel uncomfortable at all in any way. First yeah. of all, I want a woman, but second of all, like I just don't, I, I am so sensitive that I can't have the discussion about my breasts and my body also be like with a completely terrible, short tempered, rough person. Like I yeah. needed to be a warm, fuzzy lady. Um, and so I went, I chose my doctors based on who had the nicest, <laughs> who people said made them feel the best or they wanted to hug or something. <laughs> who did you end up going with? I went with, um, at Sloan Kettering, I mm-hmm. went with Dr. Gemignani, uh, Mary Gemignani and Dr. Andrea Pusick. And they're amazing. I um I went with someone at um St. Luke called mm. Dr. Lenetskaya and she's um from Ukraine and she is hilarious and I love her. Oh yeah. The best. And she specializes in like breast reconstruction. Um like that's all that she does all day. And I did was you like, look at all the pictures? Was there like a ton of books? Like, yeah. So also she um when she did my surgery, she had just like ordered these um these really cool things that where she didn't have to put drains in. Whoa. Um, they were just like battery packs that like I'm not really sure how the fuck they worked, but they somehow uh helped with the pressure and so that way the the and my wounds wow. wouldn't leak. And so I just had battery packs like taped to my tummy. I was a robot for like a <laughs> <weeks>. <laughs> I was. That's amazing. Um it was so cool and she was just like super casual about it after I woke up from surgery I had these like lights on my on my body and she was like don't worry about it I just found these and like they seem pretty cool so we're gonna try them out and I was like whatever (laughs) I like how she was like I just found these (laughs) I googled it (laughs) I etsied it it's really easy yeah no big deal (laughs) um so why did you end up writing a book about your experience well at first I when I was going through it, I'm a comedian and um, comedic storyteller. Um, and my friend was like, you've got to do something with this. Cause I was kind of going crazy. Like right before I was just so nervous. I had so much energy and we do a great storytelling to show where we tell true stories and they're comedic and it's, it was very successful at the time. Um, and I knew that I was going to share my story, but I just didn't know how I was going to do it. And I started to look on YouTube for research. Like I just wanted to see other women talking about it. Mm -hmm. And every woman, it was the only people that went to YouTube 
um, went to the tube to share were um, really angry, really miserable people, mm. surgeries that went badly, things that went poorly, unhappy people. And it's sort of that like Yelp review mentality of you only report if it's terrible and you only want to share if, if there's something wrong. Otherwise, if it's good, you just want to like move on with your life. Um, and so the other, I got the surgery done at 28, 29. And then um, all the women there were over 50, over 40 and 50, who also had done it or had written about it. And that was because at the time, they recommended that you have the surgery after you're, quote, done with your breasts, because mm-hmm. they decided that breastfeeding is what your breasts are used for in the medical industry. And that that you would be that you would have to use it for that and then you could think about it but I was going crazy so I was like I can't wait and I don't know when we're gonna have kids I don't know didn't know at the time if we were gonna have kids um if we could even and I just didn't want to wait another like 10 years or something before I didn't know what was gonna happen um so I actually had to I was the only person at that moment that I knew doing this I had to persuade my doctors I had to get approved by my genetic counselors and my surgeons and explain to them why somebody at my age so young um, without having kids really wants to do it. And after I explained to them my body issues, my family history, all of these different reasons, um, because I was a 32G, um, they were like, wow, you've really thought this out. And I was like, well, yes, I have. I'm a 28-year-old woman. I have thought it out. I have a brain. Yeah. But it, it um, it was interesting. In a way, it was good because I was 100% positive. There wasn't that sort of in the background worry of like, maybe I made this wrong decision or mm-hmm. maybe I regret it. Like I fought for this surgery and I, I pressed and explained and proved my point a million times to anybody who questioned me why it was time for me to have it at this moment in my life. And so it felt very good. And f- I felt very strong in my conviction. It was time to do this for myself. Um, and so I contacted my friend who was a blogger for Glamour because I was like, I bet you no one's talking about this. And I would love to do YouTube videos that were positive, that were sort of like a happier tilt or like some levity in it um, because it's not there. And I bet somebody else would want this. And she connected me to Glamour's Condé Nast Entertainment and we created a documentary. And the documentary did really well. It won an Emmy and it was just really exciting. Um and then, but the documentary only was there for the first half of the surgery, mm-hmm. which is, I didn't even explain the surgery yet, but um, then the second half wasn't really reported on. And I knew that there was more to talk about. And I knew that when I was looking for something like this, something to do, um, I didn't want anything that was like technical or medical or scary. Like I didn't want a pamphlet from a cancer center. Like I didn't want to join the cancer club. I wanted to be a healthy, normal woman who's creating a huge change in her life, but I didn't want to be considered a sick person. And I also didn't want to take time or attention away from that community. Um, so I was like, I was thinking, um, no one's doing this and no one's doing it in a, in a lighter way. And I think if a family member gives you a very scary, intense medical textbook about breast surgery, that I was not going to read. But I was going to read A Girl's Guide, A Silly, Funny, hot pink book that is something I'd want to read or even read one chapter in or just read a chapter about sex or just read a chapter about baby like I just Mm -hmm. I I wanted to sort of be I wanted to be a story but also be a little a la carte so you could just pick what you could handle because it's such an intense experience 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So then we wrote the book and that blew my mind because I was in the slowest reading and spelling class in school and I didn't think I was smart <laughs> enough to write a book. I literally said, I don't need to pay attention. I'm never going to write a book. That's what I would say to myself as a kid. Like I, it was my defense mechanism because I was dyslexic and didn't know it. Um, and so I didn't, I thought it, grammar was annoying. And then I wrote a book and it was great and it was really fun. Yeah. It's a good book. It's very funny. <laughs> Thanks. That's all I want. I just wanted to be funny. We say it's a day read. It's a real fast read. <laughs> it's a real easy read. Because I'm not the strongest reader, but it's a fast read. It's fun. Well, let's talk about um your two surgeries. So yeah. what was the first half and the second half? So what they do is when you're BRCA one or two positive, specifically BRCA one, you have a higher risk of breast cancer. If you're BRCA two positive, uh, it's ovarian cancer is slightly higher. Um and what that means is that the breast tissue does not have the proper defense mechanism or as strong of a defense mechanism against cancer as someone who doesn't have the mutation because the gene actually is a suppressor of those cancer cells. And so if you have the mutation, you don't have that suppressor. So they have to take all of the breast tissue out. That is what is the highly at-risk tissue and cells. Um, And that is mammary glands, that's fat tissue, that's everything, everything except the chest muscle wall. So the first surgery, they go in there and they clear all of that out, and that's done by an oncologist, oncologist, a cancer doctor who does this usually with cancer patients as well. They're very common to them. It's not a abnormal surgery. It's been happening for a lot of years. It used to be that they would sadly take away the breast uh, the chest wall. And so it would create a huge divot in mm-hmm. women's breasts mm-hmm. and be very deforming. And my bubby had that and was so embarrassed by her breasts. Um, but at the time they didn't know that they were like, let's not, let's take away cancer. Let's do it. So they did the best they could. I thought, I think. Um, and then, so now they realize you don't have to go to the, past the chest wall. They remove all of that. And then some women, there's different ways you can do reconstruction. But in my surgery, basically the oncologist would like high five the plastic surgeon who, while I was still under, would go in and then do the reconstruction part mm-hmm. or start the reconstruction part. And then what that doctor does is then your plastic surgeon, however you choose to have the reconstruction, they begin that process. Okay. Um, and then depending on the type you have, you can either, that could be your only surgery or like I did, you'd have to come back and um, finish the job basically after you've healed a little bit and made adjustments. Some people um, choose not to have reconstruction. So the plastic surgeon part is really whatever is your body can handle. Some people who have had cancer or have had some part of their chest sadly taken from radiation or chemotherapy, they might not be able to have as many options in reconstruction as someone who, as I was, that had a nothing visibly wrong. Um, and then also your body type and size can also determine, you know, how, what they think is best. And I really recommend just trusting your doctor because they do this all the time, all mm-hmm. day long. And they, they help people and they see breasts, and they see bodies change and grow and they see people two and 10 years later and how the body adjusts to these, you know, ostensibly fake breasts. And, um, I, I would really recommend that. I did not listen to my doctor and I made a mistake and I chose the wrong ones, but it was okay because she's lovely. And we, so we did, I actually did three surgeries total. Mm-hmm. Um, the surgery I chose was 
implant surgery, which they basically make a space with a thing technically called a a spacer (laughs) or an expander. Um, And they put that in between the muscle tissue, your muscle wall, and not the muscle wall on your bone, like inside the muscle. So it sounded so disgusting to me. Like they made a pita pocket Mm -hmm. of your muscle. But my doctor was like, no, Caitlin, it's a cocoon. Like it's the most healthy place for like blood flow and protection of your implant. And I was like, cocoon, you're so sweet. <laughs> now, oh my God. Isn't there like an over the muscle or an under the muscle one? Yeah, so that's the next one. Okay. So, so this one is a way that they slowly expand your muscle because that is going to be where your implant lives. Because otherwise, if you just put your implant on top of your breast, it wouldn't have anything to hold it up. Mm-hmm. That's called under the muscle. Now, the new one that they're doing is over the muscle. And in some places... um. It wasn't going very well. I know I spoke with some women in Israel when I went to speak there that had it, that had taken some of their back muscle and used it. It, it wasn't, some of them were, were really unhappy with it. But now I think it's turning and I had a friend that just did it who loved it. And they're using um, a surgical mesh and they kind of create a hammock. And so they can put it above your chest wall and put the implant in there. And there's different circles. There's different types of implants. There's honey bear implants and there's circular implants and there's one implant that's been recalled and like there's just so many choices that feels crazy and then there's also nipples I mean there's like a whole world of nipples it's like a whole nother thing and can you keep your nipples do you have to get rid of your nipples like there's so many there's so many options so tattooed nipples yes tattooed nipples I know a few tattoo artists that specialize in that I don't know I really like that my breasts are under the muscle because I feel very safe and it's my own tissue um, what they can also do is they can do a little lipo and add on top of like under your skin to make it a little softer so that your implant doesn't feel as like strong. You know, those like 80s implants that were like mm-hmm. circular and a body, like it just looked like a Barbie. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like, my, I think my fantasy implant at the end of the day. I was like, if I'm going to wear fake breasts, I'm going to look like Baywatch. Like that's great. <laughs> yeah. But awesome. then, yeah. Forever. Why not? Like forever lifted. Forever perky boots. Oh my God. I'll be in the nursing home. I'll be such hot tits and I'm like ready to go. So. I was like, I wanted them like round and full. And when you do your spacers, the spacers take like a couple months to get your body to create that nice little pocket for your implant. So my chance now is less than 1% of getting breast cancer. Woo! Congratulations. Thanks. I just feel so good. It feels, I never think about it. I never worry. Um, You know, they, they do look different. Like they aren't real breasts. And that's what my plastic surgeon was saying that it's not, we're recreating something that, is a natural occurring thing and we're trying to do the best we can. And so I also, I always say to women, what my plastic surgeon told me is that there, you can get revisions and corrections. Like it's sort of an ongoing process. Our bodies keep changing. You have babies, you gain weight, you lose weight. Like you're allowed to say, well, right now these aren't the way I thought they would look and I want to change it. And the revision surgeries are also covered under insurance. Oh, wow. Because it's a part of the whole process. Yeah. And so, and you can have typically, I mean, you might need to get my new insurance. I need to get like a pre pre-approval, which is really annoying, but, um, you, it, they understand that this is a sort of constant think thankfully right now, a uh, constant sort of process. Yeah. Just you ain't, you don't know. I know guys. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it could be over. <laughs> I mean, that is really nice though, because I think that isn't the case with a lot of things, um, having to do with healthcare and mm-hmm. generally like yeah it is a really good benefit yeah I think that's incredible because 
I know with my surgery, it definitely wasn't like a part of it, even though my body was hurting mm-hmm. and in constant pain. Um, there wasn't all of that sort of. It's like that cancer element. It's like that little red folder that yeah. gets you to the head of the class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it does. I mean, which is great. Like, we <laughs> yeah. do need to be looking out for that yeah. and we do need to take care of those people. Yeah. But I wish that we just treated like everything like that. But, but we yeah. can talk about this forever. Yes. yes. Thanks for coming. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we do. As much as we did. Um, if you want to reach out to us, maybe you have something really cool you want to talk to about, talk to us about, you can send us an email at browpalpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on the interweb on Instagram and Facebook at Browpalpodcast. And as always, friends, don't, don't be a dick. dick.